here with Christian Pacheco. Christian is a GMAT quant tutor based in Lima, and he helps his students, mostly based in LATAM, to get a competitive score that allows them to be accepted into MBA programs in the US, Canada, and Europe. He has clients from Fortune 500 companies like Deloitte and Accenture, among others, who after receiving a great score based on his tutoring have gone to be accepted to schools like Harvard and Wharton. He's also a clever hybrid. Christian, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you, Gabby. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. So we have a few questions here just to learn more about you and, and how speaking both English and Spanish has been good for your business. But first, I want to start with you studied to be an engineer. So how did you start teaching GMAT quant prep? It's, it's a math test. How did that happen? It was actually kind of a coincidence. I was in university and I was looking to do some part-time work. I had a job teaching English at an institute here in Lima, Peru, but that didn't last very long because usually classes were very large, about 30 students, and I found that wasn't really my thing. So I thought maybe I could do some quant, right? Some, some math because, you know, engineering. But what I found is most of these math classes were also for large groups and those English classes were also in like institutes. But when I searched for math in English, that's when I found this GMAT opportunity. There was this little academy that was requesting teachers for GMAT in English. I started digging in and I found that GMAT actually wasn't too hard. I mean, it, it's not like calculus or anything advanced, but it was in English. And here in Peru, not many people speak English. So maybe I thought that was a pretty good niche to get into. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a nice combination of your skills, English and math, and then bring it to the people in Spanish. Very nice. Mm -hmm. All right. So when you started that, you, you taught as part of an organization for about four and a half years. What motivated you to start on your own about three years ago? Actually, I worked in quite a few organizations. The first one is the one that I got introduced into the GMAT. Then I went to work at another one. Uh, there are actually very few here in Lima, maybe about five or six. Then I actually started my own organization with a friend. That was the one I was in for four years. We actually started it in order to make a new proposal, right? Because we found that some academies actually wanted to do it more for business than for teaching. So the business model was try to keep the student for a long time in order to keep them paying or things like that. We wanted to change that. So we did our own thing. Actually, we didn't know anything about setting up a business or starting from scratch, right? We only knew how to teach. In those four years, we, we learned a lot about that. But after the four years, I found that I actually wanted to try something on my own, trying something more personalized with a, a slightly different approach. So that's why I started doing this because I wanted to focus more mainly on online and not just students here in Lima, Peru, but also from other countries. And I wanted to develop an online course and, and things like that, things that were more in, into my control. And that makes a lot of sense. It seems like you were ahead of the curve. Lots of people are moving online now. So what was the hardest part about starting on your own? You said you didn't know a lot about business. What was the hardest part of doing that? Well, the hardest part in the first try with my friend, it was 
about knowing how to manage a business client because when you work someplace usually the clients just come to you i mean they just they get scheduled in, in your calendar and you meet them and you don't have to do anything like giving them a, a quote or giving them an offer or making sure that they stay happy right so when we started doing all of those all of that in the beginning it was a little bit challenging at first trying to work with the client from zero from when they were asking information to making the payments to actually delivering the service the second time that i started on my own from zero it was a different setting because i had just gotten married a few years ago and i had two small baby girls when you start out on your own there's nothing guaranteed right there's no guaranteed paychecks at the end of the month and i have to rely a lot on, on word of mouth in order to start getting some clients right but uh, i knew that when i started working with somebody i just knew that they were going to be happy with the outcomes the way that i would give them the preparation so i thought it was just kind of like a matter of time for for things to develop in order to get more clients because one client refers to another client and then another client and then the new client refers to more clients So I knew that it would take a little while in order to get some traction. I didn't start with paid ads or something like that. It was more organic. Hmm, okay, yeah, I I agree the the marketing customer acquisition and then customer service is usually the hardest part. Mm -hmm. So now you've been doing it three years. How long did it take to get to the point where you felt like you had some momentum? Actually, I'm still feeling it. I mean, I'm still starting to feel it right now. <laughs> uh actually last year I think that the key turning points was to to get associated with somebody because when I was only doing my own thing teaching and getting some referrals from clients they only referred so many clients in a given period then I met a consultant that works with students in the next stage which is the applications he's exposed to many different kinds of people that want to do MBAs and they also need the gmat so we started talking and actually met him through through linkedin we developed this relationship that was a mutually beneficial relationship it wasn't economical in in any way we agreed on that it was just referral i refer him he refers me that way i started to have clients from different countries that elevated my status as a teacher not just here in lima peru but also an international teacher I quickly found out when I started working with students in other countries that the quality of the material that I taught them was a lot better than what they were used to in their countries. There are also academies and institutes that teach GMAT in different countries like Mexico, Colombia, Spain, United States. You don't get as many great results because they also focus a lot on marketing, they focus a lot on you can get a great score in two months or something like that, a very short time. Actually, few people do. So when they go with high expectations and they don't get the results, they are a little bit frustrated. So that's when they come to me and they say, "How can I work with you to make this better, to improve my score?" Then they saw that my method was different and they actually liked it better because they felt it was more efficient. Then I got a lot more word of mouth with students from other countries. And that's when it started to pile up and started to get the ball rolling as they said. Wow, that's a smart strategy to partner up with somebody else. Looking at your website mbaprep tutoring.com, 
you can tell from the reviews that your students really love your approach. So you mentioned a few things that make your approach unique. What else would you say makes it unique specifically to you, Christian? Mm, maybe when I started to develop my own approach, my own theory, I started from scratch. I mean, it's not like based on a book or like I bought a, a book with theory and I just thought what it said in the book. I started to dig into the questions and try to find some patterns, try to find ways that I can explain this, that it can also make sense if you put it in a bigger structure. So I think that is one of my qualities or my abilities to explain things in, in simple terms. At least that's what my, what my students tell me. I also developed my own methodology for years. I mean, I've been doing this for seven years. Each year, I put a goal to make my theory again, to start again from scratch. How would I do it differently? Knowing what I learned in the, in the previous months. That way, I've developed about eight versions of my theory. That is the one I use currently right now. And it's very polished. I keep all my versions. Because sometimes I go back and see the first version was, I don't know, <laughs> I, I was really embarrassed to, to use that right now. Version two was a little bit better. Version three was a little bit better. And then it, it got a lot better. So now I feel like it's very, very efficient. And I can do it with my eyes closed. <laughs> Students like it because it's already structured in a way that has examples. that are just the right examples to grasp the concept or the theory. They feel like that helps them make a lot of progress. Also, the way that I teach some concepts is unlike what they find on other books. They all tell me in probabilities or in combinations, they usually use this complicated formula, but I use a different approach that they don't find in YouTube videos, they don't find in forums, they don't find on the internet. That approach took some years to develop. What I found out is that if I taught the same formula as everybody else, people just plug it in and they don't really understand what it means, or for example, when the question changes and they ask something different, they're kind of lost. So I, I developed this other method and they find it really useful. Yeah, exactly. It's more important to understand why you're doing it than just how to do it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I noticed too, and you're LinkedIn and you have a YouTube channel, you're always sharing something. And sometimes you're hosting a taller or workshop and sharing your student wins when they get a good score. Why is that so important? It's important because people have to realize that it's possible to get a good score. You don't have to be born with an IQ of Albert Einstein in order to get a good GMAT one score. So when I sometimes post the success of some of my students, I like to tell a little bit about their story too. There are some cases, for example, when they started at an intermediate level and they go into a, a high level, that's usually understandable. That's not very uh, uncommon, but people who are struggling and they feel really at a low level, they want to know that it is possible to go to a high level with the right strategy, with the right methodology, and also with a lot of hard work and many hours, it is possible. I like to put out content because. I know not everybody that sees it is going to come knocking at my door for classes. It takes a lot of time in order for maybe somebody to say, yes, I want to take some classes. That's also a little bit of the back end. When I talk to clients on LinkedIn, for example, I have messages with some of them that go back to January 2019 or 2018. 
And there, in that opportunity, they ask for some information or they ask maybe to have a sample lesson, but they don't take action. And it takes a month. Sometimes I, I text them or I send them a message. Hey, how's it going? How are your plans with the GMAT? Are you planning to start? Are you planning to apply this year or maybe next year? I send them a message maybe every once or twice per month or sometimes even two months apart. There are many cases actually in which maybe after a year, they start classes with me. But they wouldn't have done so if I wasn't consistent. What many people see is the front end, what I post on, on LinkedIn or YouTube, but they don't see the back end, which is the consistency in, in following up with people. I don't see it as a bad thing. Some people think that, well, if, if they want classes, they should come to me. I shouldn't be going after them. But they're actually very grateful because even sometimes they forget. They forget that they had this goal of going to an MBA. And when they see the message that I send them, it's not like, hey, sign up for classes right now. It's like, hey, how's it going with the GMAT, right? It's very offensive. They're also reminded about maybe they're not giving it too much thought right now because of their work, but maybe they should. So they start to think about it more and get them going into action. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. It's more of like a, a friend checking up on you. I know I've had moments where I've watched something on YouTube or I've seen a post, but then I never hear from the person again and you forget about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. Sounds like you have a lot of good things going on. You have a, a good front end and a back end, but with the situation right now, everybody's been affected. How has the the coronavirus or COVID-19 pandemic affected your business right now? Well, the way that I've structured it last year was to go m mostly online because I used to rent uh, like a small office. And I received students there. I had taught classes there only from Lima. That was about like 50-50. But once I started getting clients from other countries, that took more of a percentage of, of my students. Then I started doing everything more online. I thought that maybe I could go full-time online. Uh, actually, in December of last year, most of my classes were online with students from other countries. And some maybe one or two here from, from Peru. Even some people from Peru like to do online because they don't have to commute. It's more immediate. I found that, well, I wasn't using the office too much. So like my rent, my lease uh, expired. And I said, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to renew the contract. Actually, I, I think I was kind of lucky because maybe right now I would have to be like paying rent. I stopped using the office. I started working from home. I installed myself with PC with, with the equipment that is necessary. For some students that wanted to do live classes face-to-face, -face, I visited them at their offices or at their homes. There weren't that many, but once the, the pandemic came about, I actually switched everything to online because I already had the systems ready for that. I would be prepared if everybody went online, then it's no problem. Actually, the only problem is that sometimes I have my kids making noises in the house. But that's about it. In the case of the industry, people, some, some of them are with a lot more work. So some of them have stopped taking classes because in their jobs, they are making them work 24 seven. It's actually very common because working from home means working all day right now for many people, not, not just in, in, in this industry, but in also in other industries, they have postponed their MBA application. There are some students that 
got accepted to great MBA programs. In January, they, they got the, the news. But since everything is going to be online, some of them even decided to start next year. But that's not every client. There are so many clients that are just starting to prepare right now. For them, it's not actually an issue because they wouldn't start this year. They wouldn't take the GMAT maybe next month. So it's like regular for them. They just take the online class because it takes about four months. So they would be starting to think about taking the the exam maybe in September, maybe August. By then, maybe they can do the GMAT like they normally can, right? Because right now it's online and it's pretty pretty complicated uh, with the online GMAT. All right. Yeah, it sounds like you have it under control. So I noticed too in your LinkedIn, which you really focus on with your students is the mindset when you're learning. So let's see how we can apply that to your English learning. But the two quotes that I've really liked from your posts were, enfócate en lo que quieres lograr más que en lo que quieres evitar was one of them, which for those of our listeners who only speak English, focus on what you want to achieve more than what you want to avoid. And the other was, hazte mejores preguntas para obtener mejores resultados. So ask better questions to get better results. But how did you apply that to your English? When did you first start learning it? You speak very well. I was actually very lucky because my dad took us, my, my family, to the U.S. when I was eight years old. And we stayed there for two years. He was actually doing his PhD program. He's a biologist. He got a scholarship that allowed him to take the family with him for a couple of years. And I learned English very young. It was actually pretty hard at first because I was young. I didn't know anything. I, I went with zero English. My dad actually taught us. When he was at home, he got some videotapes from the library. And he helped us in, to learn English. We got our little dictionaries to go everywhere. I actually didn't think too much about the mindset run, uh, right there. Actually, when I when I grew up, I think that's when it when it kind of clicked, because the level that one has right now for for their English or, or any skill is not fixed and it can change as, as time goes by. For example, one can say, "Oh, it's gonna take a year in order to me to get better English," but a year is gonna pass anyway. So why not? decide that at the end of the year you are going to have the better English instead of just letting it go by and, and stay the same, right? It's it's kind of like the same for, for my clients. Um, they say it's going to take a long time or they don't think it's going to change that much or sometimes they focus more on that they're not seeing the results that they want fast enough instead of thinking about how can I make it faster or how can I improve my system of learning in order to have better results. Sometimes they just study at the, at the time that they can, but it's not scheduled. Or they open their notebook and, and they say, okay, what am I going to do today? And they choose some questions, but it's not very organized. So that's why I tell them you have to be organized with your, with your study, with your preparation. The same thing as with any other skill, that, and that includes also English. Okay. Well, how do you schedule or how do you keep your your English strong? I actually don't practice my speaking that much. Actually, very rare. Very rarely I speak English. How do I keep it strong? For a couple of years, it was reading books. I like to read a lot in English. It's 
the first language that I look for when I read a book. Also in, in YouTube videos, I search mostly in English. Most of my Google searches are also mostly in English. But in the recent years, it has been more podcasts, definitely. I download a lot of podcasts into my phone and I listen to it whenever I can. When I'm having lunch or when I'm walking the street or when I'm commuting. Every time that I get a, a chance, I put on the, the headphones and, and I start listening I think that that helps mostly to just be in the environment of English, but I, I don't get a lot of like opportunities to speak English. Maybe when I did some recordings, because I have my course in video format, I had to polish my English doing a lot of videos. I mean, over my online course, I did a couple hundred videos. I mean, not all of them long, some of them like five minutes, 10 minutes, but there are a couple hundred videos right there. <laughs> so that, that also helps. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Even though it's five minutes, that five minutes can be a, a couple hours prep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, those are some good strategies. So with the work you do and speaking English, you look up a lot of things online. But why is it so important to have a good coach for your long-term progress? Mostly as a shortcuts and for accountability. Podcasts are my books. Are, they are like my coaches. They give me the shortcuts. They give uh, the, the accountability because I want to read a certain number of books per month. But I also invest in programs. I think I need to, to learn from the experts. But also from, from the other side, I mean, being, being a coach to my students, there are some sometimes that when, for example, when a student finishes the theory, finishes the lessons, and now they have to do practice, they tell me, Hey, Christian, you know what? I, I already know the lessons. I already know the theory. Let me practice on my own for a couple of months and then I'll get back to you. I know that's like a death sentence because very, very, very few actually do it. When I follow up with them a couple of months later, hey, how's it going with the gym? And they tell me what usually happens, right? I mean, Christian, I, I, didn't, I didn't go through. A work came up, projects came up, trips came up. I left it. <laughs> And all the the effort that was putting at first, it's a little bit wasted, right? Because they, they go back. They don't message me because sometimes they feel a little bit of, of shame, like going back. But I, I try to be okay with it, with them. And understanding also, hey, it happens all the time. And I also warn students when they, <laughs> when they, uh, they're about to tell me that, hey, you know what? The success rate is not very high for, for that. I have students that also recognize that if they don't, hire a coach for having sessions weekly, they're not going to advance. Literally the other day, I had a student that wanted to cancel a class because she hadn't done her homework and the class was the next day. I told her, hey, you have still about 12 hours left for the class. And if you sleep seven hours, you have five hours. And then she said, okay, I have no excuse. She got practicing those three hours, maybe four hours. And she actually thanked me the next day because she told me, if, if you didn't tell me that, I wasn't going to do it. And I wasn't going to feel better practicing in order to build some progress. Yeah, that's a good point. It's important to be consistent. Yep, consistency. <laughs> so what would you say is the difference between a mentor and a coach? I know you mentioned in another post, you were talking about your mentor, Juan Garland. Si quieres llegar al siguiente nivel, busca un mentor. Es el camino más rápido. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to get to the next level, find a mentor. It's the fastest way. Yes, it's the fastest way. I'm not very sure about the definition. Maybe when I think about coach, I think more like a sports coach, somebody that's 
right there with you, giving you instant feedback. But a mentor, I think maybe someone that maybe can check up with you in longer periods. Maybe they can meet once, uh, once a week or twice a month. Maybe set goals, bigger goals, work on your mindset, work on your overall strategy for your purpose, right? But a coach, I think, related to being practical, the mentor being more like methodical. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. A coach is more in your life for a shorter period of time, maybe. Mm -hmm. But the mentor is constantly checking on you, as you said. It's just to see how you're doing, maybe give you some tips or something like that. Mm -hmm. So speaking both languages and you're, you're near native in English, I can see that. What do you wish language learners knew when they were in the process or stuck? What would you tell them? I would say you have to define what is the reason that you're learning languages. I know some people do it because they want to travel. Some people do it because they want to understand YouTube videos without captions <laughs> or without subtitles or understand movies. But for me, actually, for me, it has been life-changing in the, in the sense that if I didn't know English, if I just knew Spanish, I would have never been able to take advantage of this opportunity for the GMAT. Maybe my situation right now, economically and also for my family, would be very different. Actually, I feel grateful and I feel safe having a, a job or skill that allows me to work in these times online with students from other countries. It's a good thing to have. You can use English in order to unlock a new world, <laughs> something like that. Right now, your reality is based mostly on, on Spanish or, or your native language. But once you speak English, you can go search for videos on YouTube that maybe you, you wouldn't have been able to see before. I know for me, if I learn, for example, Japanese, I can go search for videos in Japanese. And those videos may have content that is totally different from what I'm used to. Or maybe I find a, a great mentor that only speaks Japanese and I can learn from him. And maybe I haven't translated his work or something like that. It's like a missing opportunity, I think. Yeah, I agree. Even when you think about Google and YouTube and all of these different things, Most of it is in English. It's maybe about over 50% is in English. And then the next language is, is just in the single digits. I think it was only 7%. So like you said, it, speaking English it can open up a whole new world of opportunities, knowledge, whole bunch of different possibilities. All right, Christian. Well, thank you so much. Uh, if... Our listeners want to get in touch with you. What are your social handles? You can find me on, on LinkedIn. You can search for Christian Pacheco. Maybe add in the word GMAT and that would definitely pop up in there. My website would also be the main place to find me. Also, what I have on my website is my email list newsletter. I also send out a lot of emails with a lot of tips. Once they put in their email, They get a lot of useful information, one email after another. On YouTube, you can find me at uh, MBA Prep Tutoring. You can find me mostly on LinkedIn. That's where all the stuff happens. Okay. Yeah, that's actually where I found you. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to say thank you again. I really appreciate you taking the time to come in. For those of you who don't know, we're actually recording this. It's a little bit past midnight in Lima and about 
almost eight o'clock here where I am in Germany. So I appreciate you taking the time. So late at night. That's the power of the internet. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So thanks again. And this is Christian Pacheco, GMAT quant expert from Lima, Peru. Go ahead and check out those social handles. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite listening app to hear other episodes. For more info about our courses, editing services, or our scholarship program, look at our website, cleverhybrids.com. You can also find the transcripts and show notes for our episodes there. This is Gabby V. Until next time, learn by doing and asking. Thank you.